Welcome to the Bardic Body Podcast. The body tells a story if you know how to listen and to understand its language. As a therapist, I've listened to thousands of body stories and I've come to see common themes that are universally relevant. Unspoken, they remain hidden. Shared, they may heal the listener and the teller. These are our stories and they contain wisdom and point to a truth that rather than being a problem to solve, this body can teach us how to come home to ourselves. The content of this podcast is provided for information purposes only. It does not constitute expert medical advice. It should not be used as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. If you have any concerns about your health, you should consult a healthcare professional. The use of any information on this podcast is solely at your own risk. Hi there. Thanks for tuning in. Today I'm feeling a bit nervous Uh, to speak on the topic that I've chosen because I guess it's right on the edge of my inquiry and learning at the moment and it's, well, part of the reason it's taken me so long to come to the insights that I've had about the topic are because the topic prefers to prefer secrecy. So in this presentation, I'll be uh, bringing in the notion of subversion. Subversion comes from two words, sub meaning under, and veer or verter, which mean to turn, in other words, to steer. So, so steering from beneath conscious awareness might be a way to describe what subversion is. And the topic is uh, concerning of subversion, uh, a, a being controlled by forces that one is unaware of existing. And the reason that these forces are able to control is precisely because we aren't aware of their existence. From that rationale, it is in the interest of these forces to keep their existence secret. And therefore, if they have control of media, then they will propagate a culture of discrediting notions of their existence or the existence of spiritual entities, period. And I guess the best way to do that is to poo-hoo the whole idea of spirit in the first place. The roosters are agreeing with me, I believe. 
So this story, I could start about four days ago. I was thinking about my next podcast topic. And on that particular day, I was seized by self-doubt. I felt confused and and overlaying all of these feelings was a feeling of paralysis and impotence. It wasn't good. It didn't feel good anyway. And so I thought it's time to dig down into this. Some days I have a feeling that there's nothing more important to do in the day other than to get to the bottom of whatever I'm experiencing because anything else is going to be over the top of something that's I guess false to my true nature of of being a free creative autonomous being and when I'm seized by something it feels like there's not much else that matters other than returning back to a state of, of freedom. So I had a extended meditation time and I felt I was seized by something. So I used uh, a technique that I've used for many years called EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. You can get a lot of resources uh, from the internet about EFT. It's a great tool. It's a tool that's um, easy to pass over because it looks too simple. The, the time that it took between me first hearing about EFT and to actually applying it was probably about 10 years. So I just uh, saw it originally and thought, oh yeah, that's nice idea it's it's a tapping technique where you use acupuncture points and you tap on the points whilst verbally using language to tune into the frequency of whatever you're concerned about at the time and so the words that came to me to describe what i was feeling and it took a while to get there to, to accrue all these words. But what they amounted to were three words. The first was broken. The second word was subverted. And the third word was invaded. This feeling that was uh, had me was a familiar one. And I believe that it arose from being the youngest of three boys and really was in relation to what it was like to be the weakest of three boys. And um, my oldest brother was a very powerful, willful, determined character. And for whatever reason... I was kept in my 
place, I guess. Well, that was my experience. Um, well, the brother's a, a lovely guy, so just this is to be taken into the context of what it was like to be um, a, a baby and, and then a little boy and then a, a bit of a bigger boy, you know, but it was just uh, in a lot of ways unavoidable. But the experience was that my strength will never be sufficient to overcome uh, this, this stronger force. So I sort of learnt to live inside of a shell which said you are not strong enough. And to, and to learn to identify with that feeling of being um, suppressed and trapped. So that's a, a template, if you like of a, an experience that lives within me. And something in that morning of inquiring into this also led me to consider that maybe there was a process whereby, and this is why the first word in that collection of three words was broken, whereby when one is broken, and I think I'm referring to my will in this case, where that, that state of being was allowed to take up residence in me. So if I was whole and complete, uh, it, that wouldn't have been able to happen. So there required a certain uh, brokenness in order to, to then um, subvert and then ultimately invade my being. Now this all sounds like warfare. And a warfare is always uh, one side against another. So I started to see it like that, that, that maybe there was an entity that required those circumstances, those conditions in order to take up residence within me, within the part of me that I had withdrawn from and that it could then inhabit and, and create a seat of power and influence in order to, well, in order to what I'm not sure, but at the very least, my sense is that if I am taken over by this being, my actions will be not in my best interest, but its best interest. And part of its best interests are to, like a virus, to propagate itself ever increasingly. And I would um, hypothesize that, that the way it does that is that I am uh, compelled to, to inflict damaging actions upon others. 
in order to create a breakage where this entity can infiltrate, subvert and invade the next being, the next person. Now, I'm not going to tell you that this is the truth. I just want to point out some interesting things that come from this line of thinking that I think are worth considering. The, well, I guess the first thing that's worth considering is if this scenario is true that there is that there are entities which uh, possess us and use us to their own ends then it would be in their interest for us to be unaware of them because the only way that they can make best use of us is that we think that we are serving ourselves. Now, for me, as a practitioner of acupuncture and anthroposophical medicine, um, it's not that far of a stretch to think uh, of entities in such a way because um, parasites, for example, um, I believe act in, a, in, a, in the same way. They, to an extent, hijack our desires uh, in order that we in the case of an intestinal worm, for example, in order that we eat the things that they enjoy and benefit from. Until the point where we are aware that we have worms, we just have cravings. And we may just go with those cravings, thinking that, well, there must be something in me that needs this and I'll keep eating it. And for as long as I'm unaware that I have worms, I will enhance their position, their stronghold. The minute I realize that I have worms, something changes in the game very significantly. Before what I call cravings, I now this requires that I'm open to the idea that the worms are affecting my behaviour. If I if I allow that idea in and give it gravity, then I might start to question my choices and the motivation of those desires and choices that I'm making. And I may put a put a bit of a focus on what I 
what urges I allow myself to, to act on. I may start to choose a whole bunch of things that I find out that worms don't like. And so I, my actions become very intentional in terms of shifting the balance of power into my favour, the favour of, um, of an autonomous organism as opposed to one driven by urges and impulses serving something that is subverting my health and, and the integrity of my organism. So I think that's point one, which leads nicely to point two, which is that the difference between calling this idea nonsense and disregarding it or saying, well, that idea may have some validity or saying, I absolutely believe that's true. Depending on where you sit on that spectrum is going to have a, an incredible, incredibly different outcome or an incredibly different series of decisions that, that come from that. And, and the reason is because there, there's a thing called subversion. I watched a fascinating YouTube on subversion given by an ex-KGB agent. He was speaking to uh, uh, in a conference in America to a bunch of Americans. Uh, he'd since left the Soviet Union uh, and, and gone to America. And, and I think this may have been back in the 80s, so there was still, the Soviet Union was still, um, I guess, in the Iron Curtain days, that, that kind of thing. So he was talking about the way subversion works. And, and the way it works is that you, it's a way of fighting a war without an army. And the idea is that you use the opposition to fight it against itself. So the main strategy is to create points of difference which turn into disputes and tensions and conflicts. Um, and, and, and where the opponent starts to fight itself it also needs to undermine its own identity, which is like a healthy immune system. It's the identity which identifies um, self from foreign. Uh, if there is no sense of self, if that has been sufficiently deconstructed, then then what's the basis of comparison for something that is self versus non-self? Um, this is where we get autoimmune disorders. And at a cultural level, this is a form of warfare. Now, it all depends 
on the opponent, not knowing that there is an enemy waging a war upon it. The minute you realize that a war has been waged upon you from somewhere external, you shift your focus from fighting within your own identified group to then questioning and directing your interest to where is this threat coming from and that tends to have a unifying force on that organization so subversion has to work in secrecy and so part of my trepidation in bringing up this subject is that I think culturally we are conditioned to disregard such notions as there being malevolent entities that don't have our best interests in mind and that operate on a spiritual dimension that could be called anti-scientific it, it would certainly not be something you would say within scientific circles i would think it would be a, a taboo subject and it's not so much now this is interesting because it's not so much that anyone would say well we you don't talk about that because the whole thing about taboo is you don't say that you don't talk about it. It's just understood, and that's part of part of the invisibility of this subversion tactic. Is that it's you don't not only do you not talk about it, but you don't say that you don't talk about it. Because we are not wanting to disagree with it we're wanting to disappear it to disappear the the idea that would give one some means of identifying and um, equipping oneself defensively against something that had a malevolent intent so we don't talk about it we don't talk about the existence of evil that is also in the realm of taboo and superstition. So we are taught to believe that, well, the, wor the world is um, really um, kind of dumb and arbitrary. If, if bad things happen, it's arbitrary. And I think the, uh, the bleaching away of any sort of spiritual context that we can have a conversation about is in the interest of spiritual entities that don't have our best interests in mind. So there you go, I said it. Right, so that's the second point. Now, if we apply that now to the idea of healing it, it sheds some interesting 
it sheds light on some interesting dynamics. Now, I would say inside of that, we may unwittingly, um, although although as a energy practitioner, I might put myself in a different category outside of mainstream thinking and to say, oh, I believe in energy and and this and that. But I may unwittingly uh, fall under the umbrella of this, um, let's call it a reductionist model of the world, when I work within a certain idea of self-development. What I mean by that is, basically, the, the model runs like this. I have parts of me that are wounded through past experiences, and because I'm wounded, I sometimes do things that aren't good for me and aren't good for others. Sometimes I may even hurt others, and that's not good. And therefore, I should strive to reform those parts of me that are inclined to do that. And if I manage to succeed, that'll be a good outcome. Sounds fair enough. Now, if we put that alongside of this other idea that I was wounded in in that event of being wounded I was invaded and and a process of subversion took place where what took up residency in that wound started to steer my behaviour down a certain road to where I became the servant of this entity, to where I started to act out things that strengthened its hold on me and weakened my own sense of self. And I engaged more and more in self-destructive behavior and behavior that hurt others. And when I hurt others, there might have even been a part of me that enjoyed that. And that was the mechanism through which this entity propagated itself into others and so on and so on. Now, when we put those two scenarios side by side, you may see that depending on which model we believe in, we're going to take a whole different approach. In the first instance, I said that we will try to reform ourselves, try to improve ourselves. And this is basically this idea that I, I'm the one who 
is doing this stuff and I really need to stop doing it. And I, I find it really interesting that that is a mainstream modern narrative around stuff like uh, climate change. The, the notion that uh, if we recycle our, our pasta sauce bottles and, and stop using plastic straws, the notion that this will save the planet because, hey, that, that's how come there is um, global warming. And, and, and if it's not getting better, it's because we're not trying hard enough. That sort of fits hand in glove in that, that idea of this, um, trying to reform this, um, this part of the self that just isn't, just is needing to really lift its game. That's great. I, I might even get a feeling of um, satisfaction when I do recycle my pasta sauce bottle. I don't eat pasta sauce. I think I'm. I'm. I don't. I don't buy pasta sauce. By the way, I'm. I'm actually just borrowing from um, Russell Brand. He's talking about washing out his jar of dolmio. Um. Yeah. The only problem with that model is, meanwhile, while I'm looking to redeem myself, these, um, you know, corporate multinational companies, um, are needing to cover their faces while I giggle because we are also concerned about doing the right thing that we fail to see that actually the the behavior is not changing our our own focus on our self and how we're not living up to the idea of what we should be is actually perpetuating the allowing of a subversive act, which is their their actions done in secrecy, behind a screen of of um, um, yes, we we're doing the right thing and wash your bottles by the way, and recycle them. Um, you know, don't look at me for too long. Make sure you're doing it. So now, if we cross over to the other side and and you know there's um there's something to, to be said for self-responsibility and and um living into the being of of the person who does care for the environment and and does take personal responsibility don't get me wrong but i think the interesting thing to note is that that may be at the expense or i may get um sufficient kudos and and feel good points um for that alone and think that that's i'm playing my part when i'm when i'm um ignorant and perhaps not even interested in in the truer larger picture so maybe my my willingness to do good is is distracting me from from looking at the simple physics of the equation that 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 if this person over here who's 
you know, polluting at a massive scale, if they don't change, then really my, my efforts are not going to amount to much. Okay, that said, when we look now at the model where instead of saying I have to reform myself, I say I have to reclaim myself from the grips of an invading entity that is that has commandeered my being my resources my 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 perceptions my ideas these are all infiltrated these are all under the the control of this entity when i look at it like that it's it's a different thing isn't it it's not i'm not I'm not going to try and reform that entity. That entity, um, if if I was to look at it, would show no interest in being reformed. It's it's um, what makes sense like, to me is that is that I become interested in what, who am I, and what do I look like intact. Do I bring to the world? What does that enable me? What what abilities arise in me because I now have all of my potential at hand? It's 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 a mind blowing question to me. It. I don't know. Is. What do you what do you think about that? Is that a mind blowing question, or are we in so little possession of ourselves that we don't really know how much potential is lying beyond the veil because we we've actually been tricked into believing that whatever whatever we're living into as our current state is the totality of who we are. I suppose if I was to want to find out if, if that's the case, I would look at how free my actions are. Do I, do I fight with myself? Do I struggle with myself? Am I... I certainly know, personally speaking, that I struggle with food choices and sometimes I feel like something has got a hold on my being and is, and is I, I, I sometimes have this, um, what would you say, like a, a panic's too strong a word, but you know, a kind of a panicked state of, of eating something and it's like, it's trying to get it in there before the before the, the security guard finds out what's going on. I have this experience around food sometimes. So I, I know in myself that, that, that something gets strengthened um, when I do that. And, and if, I, if I was just to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'll, I'll go with it, I'll, I'll have some chocolate and whatever, I, I know I'd, I'd be, um, you know, I'd fall off the edge and I would, um, spiral down into some some kind of hell where I 
was trapped inside of um, of of, um, of a life that wasn't being created by me. So, I have this sense that I'm on the lookout for those areas in my life that that show up when I'm not strongly within my own directorship. Those areas show up when I feel weak, limited, hopeless and and when when the past seems to be repeating itself it's that feeling of oh no not this again i thought i got over that i thought i i thought i was beyond that those are the times that are raising alarm bells for me and that i am personally taking on the idea that i have to reclaim part of myself and the more I think like that and the more I adjust my behaviors the more m momentum I gather and the stronger my practices and commitment to those practices becomes if I look at the past what year something happened in the COVID lockdowns where I realized that I needed to have a creative response to being locked down because it's it's a it's an imposed restriction and I could either live inside of oh well I have to do what I'm being told and therefore giving my final authority over to an external force or I could say okay I am going to make the most of this and I'm going to create my life within certain limitations as we all must given we are in a physical body in this three-dimensional world within these limitations I'm going to make the best of it and I'm going to see how good it can get I started doing the Wim Hof breathing which gave me amazing insights and access to the way that fear can take me over or, or hedge me in might be a better way of saying it. I had this insight that fear was like the, you know, the perimeters of, of where I allowed my own identity to reach to and beyond that was other and scary and unknown and 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 the the the, the fence was was made of fear substance something like that adrenaline that that sort of just forms an electric force field and says oh don't go any further so the Wim Hof breathing uh, is a way of exploring that boundary and, and feeling feeling it um, starting to um, discover some temperance that might be the best word you know when you um, when you temper something you 
you expose it again and again and again until it becomes strong. If I'm tempering steel, you know, I heat it and then I hammer it and then I heat it and then I hammer it. And, and eventually it becomes fortified um, through the continual exposure and, and the Wim Hof breathings like that. Another, uh, another form of temperance practice is uh, Vipassana meditation, which I've been doing for over 20 years. That's just temperance to sensations that arise. The Wim Hof stuff's more the sensation that I'm instigating through your breath hold. The other form of temperance practice is intermittent fasting, where I, where I gain temperance over the feeling of uh, hunger. And all of these um, exposures um, assault us with a with an onslaught of emotions. Like you know, uh, intermittent fasting can be this deprivation feeling. Oh, I'm being deprived. I'm missing out. Um, the 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 um, the word I'm looking for is when you voluntarily uh, do go without. So the voluntarily going without renunciation, I guess, of of air, of breathing, um, brings that onslaught of emotion of uh, something bad's going to happen, you're going to die, your identity is dying. Um, yeah. And so it's just to willingly bring on these these experiences rather than the the default Thing is to avoid them and, and design your life around um, not going to those boundaries but pretending they're not there living within them and it's only those moments where we are where life pushes us against them and we realize wow I'm, I'm really um, at a loss I'm overwhelmed here because I'm I'm not used to encountering what that boundary brings up. Anyway, where was I? So I'm talking about this idea um, contrasting these two paradigms of, of reforming myself or reclaiming myself. And and I then got on to talking about why um, why these practices and, and how they're gaining momentum. The, the food one for me is huge because that is a big access point for this... Um, for this other entity to to get a grip and to just get its roots into me. So I'm really absolutely over the moon with this um, rhythmic practice of um, intermittent fasting, which is um, two days a week. I do it on a Sunday and a Thursday. I'll have Sunday lunch and then I'll skip dinner that night, breakfast the next morning, and I will then have lunch on the Monday. And I do that twice a week. And it's great. It's really um, giving me that exposure to the emotional, the emotions that come up um, around this idea of uh, deprivation. And I'm starting to realize that, oh, there's, I'm not missing out. Um, in fact, I am starting to be able to digest more effectively 
because I'm not continually trying to compensate and play in play into that idea that I'm not getting enough and therefore having too much. So yeah, that those strong actions. I guess my point is, and if I could offer a takeaway there, um, those strong actions are, um, are accumulating, uh, are amassing personal power uh, that then leads to stronger. I, I'm convinced that without the the breathing and the vipassana, I wouldn't have been able to take that more personally challenging step of the fasting because. That was a big one for me around food. I, I weigh about 64 kilos, so I'm, I'm pretty skinny and um, I've always had trouble putting on weight. Um, and, and the internal experience of that is, is needing to somehow get it while I can. Yeah. And that just, I think, probably perpetuates the skinniness. I think I've actually put on a bit of weight from, from the intermittent fasting. Anyway, so what else can I say about that idea? Yeah, I think the main thing I wanted to um, share is, is to perhaps consider that it, I think it's, um, I think it's something that's coming into the mainstream consciousness more because on that morning that I had that meditation, my wife Vicky had been, at the very same time that I was working through Broken, Subverted and Invaded, she came back and had just listened to a podcast by Oracle Girl uh, and she was talking about the slave self and how there is a, another uh, entity that, that uses us. Um, about three days later, um, we came across an essay written by Paul Levy about something the Native American Indians called Wetiko, which is essentially what I've been talking about and these other people of this type of uh, spirit that possesses us. He uses a lot of great um, analogies um, between uh, the vampire and what I liked especially about that metaphor of the vampire is the vampire hates the light and so this is that exact same thing of when you shine in 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 secret the vampire um, thrives and, and also the vampire can only be invited in he can only come into your house if you invite him so I remember that in the movies where you know, of course, the vampire wasn't dressed up as a vampire at the time. He was just like a dressed up as a man, a bit creepy, but a man nonetheless. And he stood on the threshold and, and, and with an expectant look on his face. And the host said, oh, 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 please come in. And, and then he gave an ingratiating smile and stepped across the threshold. And, and we all knew that he now had this person in his clutches but had he uh, had the light been shone on his true intent and his true nature there wouldn't have been that welcoming in so it all depends on the subversive 
deceit in the first place. Yes, so all of these happening simultaneously and the and preceding all of those was reading a book uh, by Rudolf Steiner. It's a, a collection of lectures where Steiner is talking about and the title of the book is called The Electric Doppelganger. All very interesting things to check out. And I think in terms of what's to be done about it, I think the, um, well, let me, let me, yeah, let me bring in now the, uh, the framework that I've been working with, with the will meditation, which is Rudolf Steiner's distinction of the fourfold human. Now, um, bear with me for a minute because I just need to explain a few things and then and then I'll explain why I need to explain those. So the fourfold human being has a physical body, a life body, a conscious body, so you know, um, nerve senses, um, and a an I am, a sense of spiritual identity. They relate to the four elements. We've got the physical body is earth, the life body is water, this conscious um, astral body, as he calls it, is air, and the I am, uh, which literally is what ego means, this ego is the fire element. Now, please, um, if you're you're interested in what I'm saying and want to perhaps explore some avenues for what would we say um, approaching these this this scenario that I've laid out today uh, please check out episode one season one of my podcast it's a lecture on the will meditation it covers the uh, principles of the will meditation and some of the theory around the, the fourfold being um, and it leads to a guided meditation which I've then extracted out and 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 it's the second episode of season one is just the extract of, of the guided meditation this is the will meditation where we use the digestive forces in the body the metabolism which is to do with the life body in order to digest oppositional forces which exist in the nerve sense astral realm the the important thing to understand there is that you the astral realm cannot digest within itself so this is this is that phenomena of where you try and think your way out of a problem and you just end up creating more problems it's Kind of what I see happens in the world. We don't actually get down to the bottom of understanding something. We react. We come up with a quick fix and it creates more problems. So this is an attempt to, I guess, train us to not do that. If you want something digested, if you want to, if you want to take something down to its fundamental nature and to understand it, you need to use the digestion to do that. Um, and the digestion has, a, has, a, has a, a mind state more akin to dreaming and trance, but we can 
tip the balance in favor of entering into that mind into that type of trance for the purpose of of digesting it's where it's where instead of trying to think our way out of something we we digest our way to the bottom of something such that we extract the nutrients in order to do that you have to um, be witnessing it with that fourth layer the i am the fire element now this is all important because the fire element is if i could use another metaphor is the sun whenever the sun looks at something the fact that it's the sun looking at it it is transforming it when the sun looks at a seed the seed sprouts when the sun looks at some fruit the fruit ripens so the fire element has this transformative nature so so basically the way the will meditation works is i i i ta- i put aside i i i give a rest to that to that thinking problem solving nature and i allow the fire element the i am to witness the digestive process the water element and that's where the magic happens it happens through the absence of the thinking because that always just intervenes and gets in the way we train the mind to um, just to let the magic happen of where the i am and the life body get to interact uninhibited so that said The beautiful thing about witnessing something with the I am is this level of consciousness exists separately from the level of what I would call thought. Um, the main way to tell them apart, you know, am I, am I in my astral mind or am I in my authentic sovereign i am state of being the way you can tell is the the astral nerve sense um, aspect of our being is is reactive and it thinks in terms of problems and how to solve problems it is therefore not free because when i am about solving a problem i am shackled to the problem my my perspective comes out of the problem it is it is driven and dictated by something external to myself and my interest is in how do i eliminate the problem such that i will be free of it and then life will be better that that's the basic idea the i am has now i don't know i don't know if i've characterize it very well but that's a kind of a cold way of looking at things it's like if you when you go to a a bank attendant bank teller attendant and you you're having some concerns because your your account has been um deducted uh ten dollars every time you use your your credit card and you you've got this problems going on and you you're motivated by wanting that problem to be solved. And so can you imagine the way that you would be? You may be friendly and whatnot, but really your motivation is to get this problem solved. And so you're very um, interested in, in directing and influencing that person to meet your needs and requirements such that the problem 
resolves. <clears throat> now, compare that to, um, I don't know, talking to someone about a movie that you both love and what it was you loved about the movie and in doing so, realising how you, the similarities that you share with someone else and how that, that kind of warmth um, opens the other person up. We have expressions in our, in our um, language. Uh, someone was so cold to me, they gave me a cold shoulder. Um, that person is such a warm person. That gave me such a warm smile. I, um, you know, and we, I think we all know that experience of when someone's genuinely warm, something warms within you and you are drawn to that as an experience, drawn to that person. So the, the I am has that quality. And so when we look at something like the prospect, the idea that there is an entity that, that has a hold of us, if we go about trying to solve that as a problem, we're in trouble because that, um, in uh, Paul Levy's uh, essay about the Wetiko, he describes the the Wetiko as as cold-hearted and um, and you know the the in Steiner's work the astral is contracting and hardening and withdrawing and compressing it's you know if if we take on that quality we're only um really amplifying the power of 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 that and so we have to start to get curious and i guess it's the same with anything once you scratch the surface and you you have to make that initial attempt to say, um, all right, I need to learn something here. I need to, I need to become interested in this. Um, you know, and you've probably had that experience with, uh, with learning an instrument or studying history or a language. Initially, it's a bit of hard work, but as you get going, it's like something gains momentum. It's like starting a fire. The you know the kindling starts to catch, and and there's that moment when the when the fire takes off, and you you know that it's not going to go out. Um, that's the kind of interest you want to generate because that warmth is going to transform everything. And and where you'll end up, and this is another um, proof of the pudding in terms of whether you're motivated from within the, uh, the, the astral nerve sense system or the I am, is that the I am will reach a point of understanding the place, understanding where something fits. That is the signature of the I am. It understands the place of something. And when you understand the place of something, you no longer want to change it because you realize it's actually perfect and that 
feeling of it making sense and fitting in has a kind of uh, life-affirming wonder in it. It's almost like it's it's like solving a riddle. And but the fact that this warmth of attention has been offered to whatever is the focus has changed that thing for the better as well. And we just I won't go into that because it, because there's a big part of the mystery and acceptance and, and these sorts of things in just accepting that that's the case. So, if you want to work more on these ideas, check out episode one, season one. I think it's called the Will Meditation Workshop. I hope you get something out of these ideas. I'm grateful if you've kept listening up to this point and I look forward to you joining me in forthcoming episodes of the Bardic Body Podcast. Bye for now. Well, that's it for this episode of the Bardic Body Podcast. I look forward to catching you next time. Till then, be well.